Heavenly Father, we come to you. That the only way we can carry on and face the trials of this life are, is if we choose to lean on your everlasting arms. And Father, I pray that this truth, uh, Lord, might pierce our hearts this morning. We might grasp it and then put it into action and live in such a way that others know that we're, we are leaning upon thee. Bless thy word now as we open it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you'll take your Bibles with me, let's turn to Psalm 144. Psalm 144. And that song that the branch sang ties in beautifully with what we are going to see here in Psalm 144. This is our final psalm in our study of the Psalms. So we are wrapping up that series. We've been in the Psalms for quite a while, but today will be the last day. And I chose Psalm 144 uh, to end our, st our series with. And of course, this is a Psalm of David. So we're ending with a Psalm of David. Some have called this Psalm the Royal Psalm. The Royal Psalm, because David was king at this time when he wrote this song. And probably he wrote it when he first became king. And then as he became king, there were threats from the, the Philistines and, you know, these foreigners. And, and there was just pressure on the outside. And then we, we, we know that there, there was pressure in Israel itself among the tribes, the different tribes of, of Israel. So look with me, if you will. Let's begin at verses 1 and 2. Let's read this together here. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. My loving kindness, my fortress, my stronghold, my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues my people under me. Who subdues my people under me. Notice David begins this psalm by blessing the Lord, praising him, and, and praising him saying, Lord, you are my rock. In other words, you're my foundation, Lord. Because at this particular time he's writing this, we will see that he's in some kind of conflict with enemies, without, within. We're not sure exactly what it is, but he needs deliverance. He needs rescue. He's in the time of battle. And so he begins writing this song uh, by saying, Lord, you are my rock. You are my rock. And then he speaks to the Lord and he says, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Now we are going to tie that into, we know that David was a warrior king and we read his exploits and his battles and he had to use a sword and, and he, uh, David was a trained fighter. But what's wonderful about this verse here is it tells us 
that David is not relying on his own strength, power, ability or uh, to, to win any kind of battle that he's in. He recognizes who has, will, is, is and will give him the battle, the strength, and win the battle for him, and who is going to do the fighting for him. Notice he says, Lord, you're the one who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. It's interesting that the word trains there, who trains my hands for war, it's in the present tense. In other words, David is saying, Lord, you're, you're training me right now. He doesn't say past tense and Lord, you're the one who trained me. Yes, God trained him for in past battles and experiences ever since he was a shepherd boy, if you remember. David would share with Saul before he went out to face Goliath that the Lord delivered me from the bear and the lion. Remember that? And so David now is telling the Lord, Lord, you are the one who continues to train me for battle. And what I want us to do is to look at this concerning the spiritual battle that you and I are in every day of our life. You know, we're not like David where we're out there fighting a physical battle, but there is a spiritual battle going on and the enemy of your souls, Satan, is seeking to destroy you and me. And he wants he, to us to fall, to doubt God. But, and, and so we're going to see this as David speaking about deliverance from uh, the, his physical enemies. I want us to see... The, uh, how it relates to God delivering us and helping us in the time of battle and training us for our spiritual battles. And you might be going through one right now as you came into church this morning. You might have been having it all week long and all of a sudden you got hit by a two by four. You know, you didn't know where it was coming from. And it could be a, an illness, a sickness, like a dear brother Paul, suddenly heart attack, your whole life changes. Suddenly, doctor says you, have, you have, may have cancer, you do have cancer, and then suddenly your life changes. Suddenly, there is a marriage. Suddenly, one spouse says, I'm leaving. What then? Your whole world falls apart. A child perhaps dies. Perhaps you are in the midst of a battle with family and friends or, or acquaintances, and and, and, and there is friction, there, there's trouble there, conflict in the, the relationships. All this, we must remember that as we look at these type of battles in our life, that the enemy, the invisible enemy is behind it all. Satan is at work with his dark forces seeking to devour you, as the scriptures say, like a roaring lion. But I love this. So, and we are trained. How are we trained? Like David says, Lord, you train me for battle. In other words, and any, any uh, soldier that is going to go into battle, can you imagine sending them out there without any training? Now, those of you who have been in the military, are in the military, uh, you probably would love it if there was no boot camp. 
right? <laughs> if there never was a boot camp. Because I hear the horror stories of that, what they put you through. But can you imagine if you were a soldier that had no training and suddenly they threw you out on the battlefield? You're not prepared. We're not prepared. But here, the Lord wants us to be prepared. So how do we prepare? How do we allow the Lord to prepare us for our spiritual battles? Look at verse 2. David then says, concerning the Lord. First, in verse 1, he said, you are my rock. He goes on. He says, Lord, you are my loving kindness or my love and my fortress, my stronghold, my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues my people under me. Notice these tremendous titles and that the David gives to the Lord here. All the, and notice how he personalizes everything concerning what the Lord is going to, has done for him and what the Lord is to him. He says, my, over and over again, my loving kindness, my fortress, my deliverer. And he's then, but the first one he, he focuses on is the love of God. Lord, he's basically saying, you are my love. Lord, you are my loving kindness. You're the, one that I, you're, you're the one that I love, for you have loved me, and I love you, Lord. And so I go into battle knowing that you love me, for I'm, I claim you as my first love and my fortress, my strong deliverer. Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 to 9 uh, we see the covenant of love that God gave to the children of Israel. We don't take time to turn to it, but Deuteronomy 7. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you, speaking to Israel, because you were more numerous than other peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God, he is the faithful God, keeping his, here it is, covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. God loves you this morning, dear believer. He loves you with an everlasting love. And so I want you, as you head into the battles this week, I want you to, to hold on to the truths of who God is and what he means to you. And then just go and thank him and praise him for his loving kindness. Praise him that he, Lord, you are my fortress, my strong, uh, stronghold, my deliverer, my refuge. David, David continues to make this clear as he begins this song. And then he says at the end of verse two, notice he says, who subdues my people under me, who subdues my people under me. Now he's talking about David's, the people that are under David's rule. Remember, he's king at this point. And he's saying, you're the one Lord who subdues the people, my people under me. 
And this fits in well when we think of the circumstances, David becoming king. Do you remember that the 10 tribes of the north would at first not accept King David as their king? So there was tension, there was, there was division. And so only Judah and Benjamin, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, were the ones that stood by David and received him as king. And so there was that division. And so, but then there came a time when God united the whole nation, where under David, the 10 uh, tribes finally accepted him as king, and there was unity. So that's what he means here, by the subduing of my people under me. And then look at verses three and four. O Lord, what is man that thou dost take knowledge of him? Or the son of man whom thou dost think of him? Man is like a mere breath. His days are like a passing shadow. What is David saying here? David is saying, Lord, I understand how short my life is. I understand the brevity of my life. And how many times have you, do you recall something happening in your life and the Lord delivered you? And wow. And maybe it was, um, you know, a, a escape from death. And, and you look, you realize that God spared you. Uh, what, what happens in your life. Do you recall? You stop taking life for granted, don't we? It takes, sometimes it takes a tragedy or a, uh, uh, so, some sort of, uh, of uh, you know, trial to get us to a place where we will, we will stop living a complacent life, taking things for granted. But David is recognizing that I'm, I'm just, I'm just human and I'm going to, I'm going to be gone like that. We're, we're going to be gone. And he's saying, Lord, I can't believe that you love me and you love man, sinful man. And yet, and we're just like a vapor, but you are the God that loves me. So da David is making clear that he has, uh, he's making it clear that he has an understanding of the brevity of life. And then he calls upon the Lord in the midst of his battle. He calls the Lord for help. Look at me at verses 5 through 11. Let's read it together. 5 through 11. David says, Bow thy heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains that they may smoke. Flash forth thy lightning and scatter them. Send out thine arrows and confuse them. Stretch forth thy hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me out of great waters, out of the hand of aliens. Now, some of you may have a translation that says foreigners. So it's foreigners or aliens. Deliver me out of the hands of aliens or far, foreigners whose mouths speak deceit and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. David now is asking God to reach down and help fight his battle for him. He knows that the battle belongs to the Lord. And it's not in David's own strength. His own abilities. That he's going to win any, any kind of battle. He knows it from the past. And now he's calling upon his Lord to bow down. And to send forth 
uh, deliverance. Notice in verse 5 and 6 about, he, he says, bow, bow thy heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains that they may smoke, flash forth lightnings and scatter them. When we see that, uh, what does that remind you of? Well, it reminds us of uh, Mount Sinai, if you recall in Exodus. Remember Mount Sinai? God met Moses on Mount Sinai, and the people could look up and see, and there was smoke coming from the top of the mountain, and there, there was thunder and flashes of lightning. David is, is, is thinking about that and knowing that God is the God of all power. And so he's calling upon the Lord, come and rescue me, Lord. Come and rescue me in the time of my battle right now. Lord, I need you. We are in the spiritual warfare. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. David is calling upon the Lord to help him. Turn to 2 Corinthians 10, verse Three through five. Look what Paul tells the church concerning spiritual warfare. Second Corinthians ten. Uh, let, pick it up at verse three. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. And how easy, by the way, how easy it is to think we're at war with the flesh. When you see a person in front of you that is attacking you, that is, that, that is confronting you or saying things about you, and, and all of a sudden, what do we do? We get angry at that person. We get angry at that individual. We get bitterness. We, oh, man, I hope they get theirs. Lord, uh, pay them back. And, and we just focus on the person who we are dealing with and that, and that conflict. Yet, what, what Paul is trying to make clear is church, look beyond any uh, physical realm that is, has come upon you and you're dealing with, whether it be a person or a situation. Realize that there are spiritual forces at work. And so he goes on, we do not war against according to the flesh, verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Here Paul is saying, remember, your weapons aren't physical, but you and I, we have been given as believers spiritual weapons to fight the enemy because we can't fight Satan with, any, with anything physical, but we can do it with, with the spiritual weapons that the Lord gives us. And that takes us then to Ephesians 6. So quickly turn to Ephesians 6, if you would with me. Ephesians 6, the familiar passage where Paul speaks of the armor of God. The spiritual armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Verse 10. Notice where the strength, your strength comes from. It must be in the Lord, not in yourself or anyone else. 
Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes or the wiles of the, the devil. For our struggle, here again, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the high places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in that day, the evil day. And having done everything to stand, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. And take up the helmet of salvation and what? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. There is our spiritual weapons and our spiritual armor that we must go up against the enemy. So put this armor on every day. Say, Lord, I'm putting the armor on. And you can go through each piece and begin to understand what each piece means. And the great, the two great things you, you will have is the shield of faith, sword of the spirit, the word of God and your faith in the Lord, faith in his word. That is the key. And that we must put on this armor. And so David was putting this on in his own heart and his own mind, even though he was facing a physical battle. So the, remember, the battle belongs to the Lord. Let's turn back with me then to Psalm 144. Let's go back to Psalm 144. And let's just read, because of time, we're just going to read 9 through the end of the chapter. 9 through 15. David now says in verse 9, I will sing a new song to thee, O God. Upon a harp of ten strings, I will sing praises to thee. Who does give salvation to kings? Who does rescue David, his servant, from the evil sword? Rescue me and deliver me out of the hands of the aliens or for foreigners whose mouths speak deceit and whose right hand is the right hand of falsehood. Again, he, he repeats this very thing concerning his enemies. And when he speaks, notice when he, he says, whose mouths speak deceit, and the right hand is the right hand of falsehood. What he's referring to is that right hand. It's, it's kind of the, the person who's going to make a, a covenant with you, a contract or a promise, shake your hand, smile in your face. All the while, they've got deceitful motives that they want to bring you down. They're going to use you. And somehow, someway, and this happened to David, and he's made treaties with, with enemy kings and other things like that. But he knows that behind it all, they're full of lies. And so he, he's asking God to rescue him from these kind of people. And then verse 12, let our sons in their youth be as grown up plants and our daughters as corner pillars fashioned as for a palace. Let our garners be full furnishing every kind of produce and our flocks bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields. Let our cattle bear without mishap and without loss. Let there be no cry outcry in the streets. How blessed are the people who are so situated. How blessed are the people whose God is 
the Lord. There in verses 12 through 15, he's basically talking now about Jerusalem, about the people of Israel that are under him. And he's saying, Lord, bless our nation. Bless our people. Father, allow them to prosper. And he knows that there will be prosperity if they are obeying the Lord and their confidence and faith is in the Lord alone. And that, so that's why he goes through these different things. And boy, it almost sounds like a, a farmer writing these things, doesn't it? You farmers out there, what are your prayers over the years, right? Wouldn't it be that your flocks would, would bear many and uh, your cattle without mishap or loss? And then he, then he goes on talking about sons and daughters. He's, he's saying... Those people who are standing with the Lord and the Lord is their God, the God of the Bible is our Lord and Savior, then what happens? We will have blessing and prosperity. But I'm not talking about the health and wealth prosperity gospel here. Dave is not talking about that. You know, that if you come to Christ, you obey his commandments, man, you're going to get rich. You'll never be sick, all that. No, we're talking about a prosperity of the soul as well as physically. He will meet all our needs. But I want us to close with a focus upon verse 9. Because he says, I will sing a new song to thee, O God. Upon a harp of ten strings, I will sing praises to thee. So we know that David played a harp with ten strings on it. But here he's talking about a song, a song that that he says is going to be new, that he is going to begin writing and singing. And yet he has not been delivered yet, but he's ready to sing. He's ready to do some singing for the Lord and bring him a new song in the middle of the battle. And of course, after God brings him through the end of the battle. There is a song on his lips and he's saying, Lord, I will sing you a new song. But notice it's a choice. David had to make a choice saying, all this is happening to me, Lord, and I'm calling upon you to rescue me and help me in the battle. But I choose something. I choose a new song to praise you with. My friends, in the midst of your battle, would you choose to, to uh, uh, sing a new song to the Lord, a song of praise from your heart? So that even though there may be tears running down your face and you don't know the outcome, you haven't seen God answer prayer yet, but you're trusting in him and you believe God's going to help you through it. Would you say, Lord, I want to choose to praise you. I want to praise you with, with the song of my heart. Do you remember the, the account where uh, the, uh, there was uh, two men that were singing in the midst of their trial? Yes, Paul and Silas. Uh, let me see. Do we have two, two young kids here? How many? Real quick. Uh, let me see. Oh, I may have to get some big ones. All right, just just for this. Okay, let, let's get some big ones. 
All right. Um, let me see. Would uh, uh, Rusty, would you come up? Thank you, buddy. Yeah, come on up. Come on, Rusty. Boy, he shook his head real quick. No. But, yeah, come up for a second. Come up for a second. All right. And then, all right. And then, so he's Paul. We need a Silas. Um, okay. Uh, Dave Olish. Come on, Dave. Come on down. All right. If you guys would come here and just, you're going to be in prison, okay? So here you are. They remember the story. You're going to sit down now in prison. You're in a prison cell. You both sit down, okay? Now, what, what, were, what, what were they do? What had they done to them? Well, they chained them up. We got to chain them up. So can you slide your one hand through there and yours through there? Look at that. There they are. They are in trouble. You might be in your own trouble. What are you going to do? What is the first thing we do? We complain. Lord, I can't stand this. Where are you? Why didn't you help me? No. Can we use the white mic up there? The white one turned on? Okay. So Paul and Silas, they've been whipped. They've been chained. Here they are. And everything looks hopeless. What do they do? They sing. So I'm going to hold the mic for you guys, all right? And I'm going to, I'm going to ask you guys to sing a song that you've you known since you were in kindergarten. Jesus loves me. All right? So you're chained up. You're in the prison. But now I want you to do the best you can. Slide over together here. That's it. And... S- Sing Jesus Loves Me Together. Do you want me to start you or are you okay? Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Everybody sing with them. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Yes, amen. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you. Here, let me, and, that, and then what happened? Can you pull it off? No, no, don't, don't pull that way. Let's go. There. The chains fell off, right? Oh, they're free. You maybe go back to your seats, gentlemen. Give them a hand, wouldn't you? Would you? Thank you. Thank you, Rusty. Thank you, Dave. But there it is. My friends, take a song in your heart. Carry the new song in your heart. No matter how bad it gets, see what God will do. So watch what peace he will bring to your heart. And in In the depths of your soul, you will find that he's got everything under control and you can rest. Let's pray together. With our heads bowed this morning before the Lord. Dear Christian, maybe your song has disappeared. But now you're ready to sing again unto the Lord a new song. 
in the midst of your trouble and your, your trial, would you tell the Lord, Lord, I'm going to start singing. Give me the song. I choose to sing and praise your name in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my suffering. Father, deliver me. Deliver me according to your will, but I wait upon you. Would you do that, Christian? Make that commitment now. If you're here without Christ, I, you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior. I invite you to trust him today with all your heart. He died on that cross for you. He took your sins upon himself and took your punishment. Would you, by faith, accept Christ as your Savior? He will forgive your sins, and he will give you everlasting life as a free gift and a home in heaven. Pray with me now if you're ready to make that decision. Heavenly Father, say, Dear Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you died on that cross for me. You took the punishment for my sin. Come into my heart right now and wash my sins away. I receive you today as my very own Savior. Thank you for dying for me and rising from the dead, Lord Jesus. And with heads still bowed, if you gave your heart to Christ, you are now born again spiritually. You're part of the family of God. Jesus has entered your life, and now you are no longer the same. Welcome to the family. Father, thank you, Lord, for any decisions made. But, Father, we want to give you glory, and may we leave here with a song in our heart that will bring glory and honor to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.